parents' death was not your fault. My parents deserve justice. I cannot let that pass. If you make yourself more than just a man, then you become something else entirely. Which is a legend, Mr. Wayne. Master Wayne, are you coming back for long, sir? As long as it takes to show the people of Gotham their city doesn't belong to the criminals and the corrupt. Bruce? Rachel? You were gone a long time. I know. Things are worse than ever down here. What chance does Gotham have when the good people do nothing? Nomex survival suit for advanced infantry. Kevlar utility harness, gas-powered magnetic grapple gun. What's that? On the tumbler? Oh, you wouldn't be interested in that. I spent a lot of time being scared for you. I heard you were back. But the man I loved, the man who vanished, never came back. He's here. Who? The Batman. Welcome to the Suicide Squadcast. This is the DC Universe podcast where we discuss the DC Extended Universe movies and TV shows. Yeah, we're all big fans of what DC Comics is doing on the big and the small screens, and we want to make sure we talk all about it. So thanks for joining us tonight. Let's get started. My name is Scott. And I am Tim, and we are the Suicide Squadcast. So Scott, what do we got going on tonight? We have some special guests in the house tonight. We'd like to say hello to Andy and Jamie from the Holy Batcast. Welcome, guys. Thank you, gentlemen. Good to be here. That's awesome. So, okay, so we've... We were both doing DC podcasts. I think we both very much love DC Comics and what we've been doing on, you know, what the DC Comics have been doing on the big screen and all that. I do a podcast because I hate it. That's what <laughs> I like to do. I like to <laughs> podcast about things I hate. That's right. That's you would right. think, based on some podcasts out there, that that's the way it goes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'll tell you what. So uh, after doing this for a while, we've been doing this, for how long, Scott? About a year and a half? Uh, year, yeah, it'll be two years in September. Yeah. So I, I guess we're at a year and a half right now. So one thing we've kind of started to realize is, you know, as you start to build up a fan base and all that, you start to realize that you have a lot of overlapping fans with other shows and all that. And one of the shows that always keeps popping up is Holy Badcast. And, uh, you know, it wasn't until recently, I think, Jamie, you started listening to our show recently. It was the Justice League re- uh, trailer review, because that's when everyone was like, you got to listen to each other. You need to team up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then it just all snowballed from there. So um, I-, I think we, uh, I, Andy, if I remember right, there was like some kind of string where, 
all these listeners of both of our shows are saying, you guys got to do this. You got to do this. You got to team up. And uh, I think I reached out to you or something and, you know, said, would you be interested? And I think at the time, because I was looking at our schedule and I gave you some ridiculous time frame, I said, you know, you were like July. Yeah. It looks like we could do this in July because we have a ton of stuff going on. And you're like, oh, OK, July. <laughs> I don't even know if I'll be alive in July. Yeah, OK. Like, and I was like, so then I looked at it. I'm like, you know, I think we could squeeze this thing in real soon here. And uh, and it actually worked out really well. So and so we immediately put out just like a little teaser that I think it was something like I, I think this is what the fans are asking for, Andy, uh, before we had even like, you know, settled on any kind of date on that. So and got a big response from that. So it, it had to happen, didn't it? Yeah, it did. It's good to happen. Yeah. I mean, I, I think before before we even were able to private message, you know, people were tagging us and being like, oh, there should be there should be a crossover. And and I, you know, I think we you were like, hey, you know, that'd be great, but we don't know them. And <laughs> I was like, uh, and I, I think I responded like, yeah, but I'd be down. And I think that was, you know, then you were then then it was like, all right, all right, now it's OK. We can we can PM each other. But yeah, so I would like to, however, take complete credit for our topic tonight, uh, because I, I actually I know that Batman Begins is Tim's favorite Batman movie. Absolutely. I, I know that. And I was down for talking about the Nolan films. And so I have to admit, I kind of um, stalked your podcast feed. And I went all the way back to episode one and just worked my way up and looked at everything that you reviewed based on the title of the episode. And I went, they talked about Dark Knight Rises, like episode two or three. And I was like, they never talk about Batman Begins or The Dark Knight. So I totally texted Tim and I was like, Tim, you won't believe this. You're probably going to love this idea. Yeah. And I was like, no, these guys are the holy bad cast, for God's sakes. These guys had to have reviewed Batman Begins. And I was like, no, they haven't. <laughs> and we hadn't. And here's why. Because I love it so much that I was intimidated by it. Like, like certain movies, like like Batman 89, I was too, I was... I was terrified of that episode because like I want to do it justice and I feel the same way about Batman Begins and so we just kept kind of kicking it down the street being like oh another day another day another day um, so yeah so you guys get kudos for finally making it happen we broke that seal so to speak yeah or gave you a swift kick in the pants well you know yeah. that's what, that's what yeah. we do on a suicide squadcast so or blow people up you know and that's I'm just I'm just saying it happens yeah yeah you never know well I mean so I, it's kind of funny you say that Andy because that was kind of my, my deal as well like, you know, I mean, we just started this podcast a year and a half ago. I mean, obviously, this film is over 10 years old now. So it's it's like, you know, well, I mean, this is long in the past and, you know, maybe someday we'll get to it. But we're always like every single week, for at least for our show, there's always something new to talk about. So it's like, you know, when would we possibly do this? And so we've kind of like set these kinds of things aside for like special events. And and uh, so this was this was one such thing. I mean, we said, you know, if we're going to cross over with these guys, we got to do something special. And uh, so I was super happy when Scott had suggested that because, I mean, like like Scott said, this is this is my favorite Batman film of all time. It is, in my opinion, is the best Batman film that's ever been made. I don't agree with that, but I I understand. I respect my producer who <laughs> makes all the decisions. So I just kind of go, yes, sir. How are you? <laughs> Would you like another, sir? I, I don't I don't know if I should if I should share whether I agree or not yet, or if we should wait. Yeah, if I should be... I should hold on to it. Ooh, this could be like a, a surprise ending, right? Yeah. Now, Jamie, now you had kind of balked at that when I had 
it suggested that Batman Begins was the best Batman film ever. Well, that's because I don't agree with it either, but <laughs> it's more of a personal taste than it is. I think that it's actually an inferior movie to the one that I think is the best. Yeah, so, which is The Dark Knight. That is absolutely correct. Yep. And not only do I think Dark Knight Returns is the best Batman movie ever made, I think it is the best movie ever made. So if you want to open that can of worms someday down the road, well, I'll be happy to talk about it. But uh, Batman Begins is a, is an amazing film. I, I really don't have any notable problems to speak about with the film, which we can get into this uh, as we go on here. But anybody who says Batman Begins is their favorite or thinks it's the best of the Nolan films or what have you, I I, I have no rebuttal to that other than my personal taste thinks the second one's the best. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I think regardless of all that, uh, the fact of the matter is, I mean, these are all really great films, regardless of what order you put them in. And so l- let's just talk about this now. It's, it's enough enough foreplay. We got to we got to get into this film. Scott, can you give us a little background on this? I have to admit, I remember not knowing this movie was coming out until like a year before it came out. I remember walking to a theater and seeing a poster and going, w- w- wait, wait a minute. There's an they're making another Batman movie. I, I, and I forgot which poster it was, but it was one of those things that was very impressionistic. Like it didn't just scream like it didn't have any words on it or anything. And then I remember seeing the first trailer in the theaters and it takes like the first minute and a half to realize you're watching a Batman movie trailer. And I was just like, oh, my God, because you got to remember this is 2005. The last Batman movie I saw in the theaters was Batman and Robin. And I was still having a little PTSD from that, to be honest <laughs> with you. Yeah. I mean, the one thing I kind of remember, too, on this is because, uh, I, you know, like I was like a lot of people when Batman 89 came out, I was a little kid and I was super pumped to see that because I wanted something that kind of did a better job of kind of validating what I understood Batman to be, you know, from the comics. Uh, that was not what was on TV with uh, Batman 66. And so to me, Batman 89 was a great achievement because it, it really kind of made Batman legit. And then after a while, they kind of destroyed that franchise. <laughs> so I like wanted to, you know, see Batman done super seriously again. And I wanted an origin story. And I just couldn't believe it when they finally said, hey, you know, we have a director for this film. It's going to be Christopher Nolan. And I was like, are you kidding me? The guy who did Memento is going to be doing Batman. I'm like, wow, that just kind of blew my mind away. Like, I was just not expecting that. And, um, you know, when I when I finally got to see that, uh, you know, that he was going to be in it and then they got Christian Bale, I was like, I, I was just like head over heels. I was uh, my excitement level for this film just went through the roof because Christian Bale, I first um, had seen in American Psycho. I really liked what he did in that film. And then uh, I saw him in Equilibrium. And then, of course, uh, The Machinist had just come out uh, shortly before Batman Begins finally came out. And so I was I absolutely love Christian Bale as an actor. So like I said, I was just through the roof. Uh, wh- how about you, Andy? What was your where were you at in life with Batman? It was it was a really weird time because I knew about it. But at this point, like there had been so many starts and stops of other Batman movies that I had kind of I, I wouldn't say I lost track, but I just stopped paying as close attention because I was like, oh, it's another one, you know, like because Batman versus Superman with Wolfgang Peterson was greenlit mm-hmm. and moving ahead. And I yeah. remember being like, oh, my gosh. Blah, blah, blah. And then it died. And then, uh, you know, year one, there was all this talks about year one and then nothing came of it. And so this was just another one where I was like, oh, OK, they, you know, they're going to take another swing at Batman. And so I wasn't paying super close attention to it. I knew it was happening. And I do remember going to see Insomnia um, and, and knowing that, oh, this is the guy who's going to do Batman. Uh, or I think I saw Insomnia and then they announced it. And I was like, oh, OK, I, I had seen that movie. And I was like, yeah, it was OK. I still think Insomnia is an OK movie. I didn't, you know. I completely agree with you. It's my least favorite of Nolan's movies. I'd only ever seen it the one time and it was all right, you know. Um, and so I was like, OK, well, yeah. And so I had a very, like, surprisingly tempered reaction to all the news around Batman Begins where 
I was like, I was aware of it and I paid attention to it, but I wasn't super excited. I wasn't like trying to dig deeper and find out more. I was more just like, oh, all right, all right, we'll see how this happens. I do remember, you know, I remember once casting started happening and everything, uh, I was like, okay, it seems like this movie's actually going to happen. And the first time I actually believed that was the first thing they released from the movie was a picture of the Tumblr. That was the very first image we got of this new Batman movie of this is the new Batmobile, the new Batmobile. And I remember looking at it going, huh, interesting. And I didn't love it and I didn't hate it. I was just kind of like, weird. Okay. And again, it wasn't something to get me excited, but it wasn't something to get me disappointed. I was just like, so the whole time leading up to the movie, I was just very middle of the road. Like, oh, of course I'll go see it. Um, But I wasn't counting down the days or anything. And there was not a lot of hype for this movie, at least not in my world. Uh, if if I'm a huge Batman guy and this Batman movie's coming out, and even I was kind of like, oh yeah, yeah, I'll go see the new Batman movie. Um, I don't remember anyone talking about it. Uh, I, I guess because we were all just so burned from 1997, maybe. Um but I, of course, still had my tickets for opening night. It was still a Batman movie. But I even going into the theater being like, oh, yeah, we're going to go see the new Batman. You know, I went with my girlfriend at the time. And so like, but going in, even I wasn't super excited until I walked out. See, <laughs> I then... remember I remember it was actually a family event for me because 2005, the summer of 2005 was the summer after I graduated college. Like I had moved out. I was living in an apartment with some college buddies, but I still lived in the same town that my family lived in. Uh, so I remember going to go see it. With my mom, my dad, my sister was home from college, and so it was a family affair to go see Batman Begins. And I'll tell you, it was one thing, and to, to walk out of a movie theater where even my mom and my sister were going, that was an awesome movie. Yeah, it was kind of funny. So I had, uh, I was with uh, my girlfriend at the time, now my wife. Uh, I was with her. This is the kind of year two of our relationship, and throughout those first two years, I was slowly kind of like you know just kind of letting her know about like what my love for comics was. <laughs> you know, I didn't want to let that out just right away because you know she was not like you know. A comic book person or anything like that. But then I, you know, early on, I just started finding out that she actually used to watch Batman the Animated Series quite a bit. I was like, are you kidding me? I'm like, this is my chance. I could let her know who I am. <laughs> so, um, and she started getting like really excited about the film. I mean, she she had this like thing for, you know, Christian Bale, which did not hurt my case. <laughs> and so, uh, and so like she started getting excited for the film and then I was like getting super excited as well. And so we actually went to go see it on premiere night together and uh, with a couple other friends. And, and so there was, like at least on our end there was just a lot of anticipation building up because like I was you know I was reading all the message boards and I was trying to find everything else out about the film that I can and and just getting prepared for it and so I I don't know I was super super pumped up for it so how about you Jamie what what's kind of your backstory to leading up to going to go see the movie uh, for whatever reason and I don't know if life was just incredibly busy at the time because as this movie was coming out my wife was uh, four months into her pregnancy with our twin daughters which was our first kid. So for whatever reason, like online or, or any place else, magazines or anything, I just, I wasn't focused on it. It's like, it feels to me like the first time I was really aware of this movie was the, the title was the first thing I remember. Cause I, I don't remember if I read it somewhere or somebody told me and I thought what idiot greenlit a title that bad for a Batman film. 12, 12 years later, I still agree with you. Yeah. I, I, I adore this movie. I still hate the title. Yeah. I mean, I, I can live with it, but it's just like, it, it does nothing to inspire I got to get my butt in a seat and see this thing. I mean, other than Batman being in the title, just it's not not an inspirational title. But anyway, uh, so I wasn't paying attention to the production. I re- wasn't particularly aware of Christopher Nolan or, or you know, I'd, I'd seen a couple of his films, but I just didn't know. I didn't know it as Christopher Nolan at that point. You know what I'm saying? And and I, 
much like you, I, I knew Bale from American Psycho. My brother-in-law and I are huge fans of that movie, and we got like heavy into Christian Bale. We're like, this guy's fantastic. I mean, he, he's incredible. And when I found out he was playing the part of Bruce Wayne in Batman, I was like, okay, now I'm really interested. Because to that point, I was still thinking they were in Batman and Robin mode. I wasn't aware they were making this you know hard reboot into the character. So uh, again, I wasn't paying attention to the details, and, and I saw the trailer, and I was like, boy, that looks a lot better than I thought it was going to be. And uh, as per tradition at that time, before our kids came, my brother-in-law and a mutual friend of ours, who is actually, we came to find out, a co-worker of Tim's, uh, every Thursday night, we'd get together and we'd have guys night out at the movies. We'd just go see whatever we wanted to go see. So, like, I wasn't even there, like, opening night for this film. I was there, like, the following Thursday. That's that's how much excitement I had for the film. So, we get together with the boys and we go see the movie and we walk out and, and as per is the case, every single time we go see a comic book film, they all turn to me because I'm the comic book guy and they're like, well, what do you think of the movie? And my my words, and I don't remember exactly how I said it, but I basically said, I don't think I've ever seen a comic book movie where they've taken as much creative liberty as they have with the character and still remain so true to the heart and spirit of the character. So I, I walked out with that really strong impression of it at first, and I wound up going to see it later that weekend with my father, and my, even my father loved it. My dad's not a big comic book movie kind of guy. He's not a superhero guy. You know, he, he's, you know, James Bond movies, Schwarzenegger movies, Stallone movies, all that stuff is what I was kind of raised on, and he and I would all go always go see together every Friday after he got off work. So he saw the movie and he was impressed. And, and I think I saw it maybe one more time. And I was like, wow, that that's really good. I'm looking forward to seeing what they do next. And of course, the next thing was The Dark Knight. And, you know, I just really launched at that point. But yeah, my, my initial excitement was non-existent. So I kind of walked into the movie lukewarm to the whole thing. You know, I was I was seeing a Batman movie. That, that was basically why I was there. So now I'm, I'm actually pretty shocked out of the four of us that I seem like I'm the one that was probably most in tune with it. I never would have guessed that, you know, considering especially with you guys, you know, uh, being the Batman guys, I thought for sure, you know, you guys would have been all over this, but, uh, well, and I think it just speaks to, to how much Warner brothers had to rebuild at that point, you yeah. know? Cause like I said, I, I don't think there was a lot of hype. And the reason for that, I mean, I mean, the reason for that is, I mean, it was, it was a tough sell because it was, it was so different. Just like Scott mentioned, you know, that, that first teaser trailer was so cool, but also so unexpected in that the whole time, you don't even know it's a Batman movie until the very end of the trailer, which the, where are you here? That, that moment, that was how they ended the trailer. And you go, oh, this is Batman. They had no colorful villains to, uh, you know, to advertise. It was, it was a much more, uh, you know, realistic, less fantastical. It was tougher to sell and people will still were still burnt by Batman and Robin and it shows that there wasn't a lot of hype because the movie I, I distinctly remember because something that's never changed is I always watch the box office numbers because for me that's my sports before we start recording you guys were talking about sports my sports is watching box office numbers and trying to decipher them that's fun for me and every week I check box office mojo and I read it and I see what happened I remember the week before Batman Begins came out it was a really low weekend I don't remember what was coming out but it was just it was it was a down weekend for the summer and i just remember box office mojo going you know you know what this summer of 2005 needs it needs batman and then the next weekend batman begins came out and it opened at 48 million dollars which was okay phenomenal well wasn't that no no for 48 million dollars was okay back then not great really that not great that's less 
than Batman Returns, which was 13 years prior. Uh, it was less than Batman Forever. Uh, and it was about the same as Batman and Robin. Ba- Batman and Robin opened at 42, eight years prior. So taking, taking, uh, taking, taking inflation into account, it opened about the same as Batman and Robin. Uh, and it wasn't a flop, but it was like, oh, it, it only opened okay. And so I think everybody expected it to do more. But fortunately, then word got out, like, like, like me and Jamie who went in going, oh, it's a Batman movie, I'll go see it, and walking out and going, holy crap, what a Batman movie. I spent the rest of the summer dragging people to see Batman Begins. And it had legs. And so even though it opened at 48, it had a four, more than a four times multiplier, which speaks mm-hmm. to really great word of mouth. Sure, for sure. Now, so that is the, what I was trying to um, try to figure out in my head earlier when I was saying, you know, why was I the one that was most enthusiastic? You know, it sounds like I was the most enthusiastic out of the four of us. I think I know why. Because I never saw Batman and Robin. No, he didn't. No. And and it shocked me because when we did our Batman and Robin review uh, a few months ago, I was sitting there going, "Oh, you have no idea what you're in for." <laughs> oh, you'd never seen it to that? Point? No, no, I had never no, seen it. No, he did not see it until like last summer or something. Wow, that was the first time he had ever seen that movie. No, and you know why? Because like I I had seen enough in the trailers. I said, "I am not going to watch this piece of crap." Like I was not going to watch it. Like I knew it was just it looked like a big steaming pile of garbage to me. And how, so I, how old were you when? that came out because i was 22 and i wasn't smart enough to figure that out (laughs) oh i i knew it was garbage but i still went so what do i know i was 15 it was batman i was gonna my dad was gonna pay for it i was gonna go see it i mean that's just the way it goes oh i mean i even had this this girl i was dating at the time i mean she she knew i was like into comics and batman and that kind of thing and so that film was coming out and so she super sweet thing she did she went out and bought me this real nice poster of uh poison ivy and I was just like, you know, and I kind of had to sit there and go, oh, this is awesome. And, and it's like, I, I put the thing away and never did anything with it. It's like still, I actually, I think I just recently threw that thing out. I had never put it up because I had no interest in that film, but I couldn't tell her that. <laughs> oh, she meant, she meant well. Oh, she meant extremely well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't work out though. That was, that was the death of the relationship. <laughs> Interesting side note, not that this is the Batman and Robin episode, which by the way, Andy would love to solicit someone to do a commentary track on that movie. No, we're covered, dude. We're covered. <laughs> You're in. Uh, that is to date, you know, aside from 66, which I wasn't alive for, the only Batman movie that I have not seen in a movie theater multiple times. Okay. Tragic. Just tragic. And, I, and I'm telling you, I honestly believe that's part of the reason why Batman Begins didn't open to the tune of like Batmania all over again is because so many people were scorched by Batman and Robin that Warner Brothers literally had to earn people back for it. Just like Andy, just like me, just like so many others. And that's exactly right. That was, that killed the Batman franchise for quite a while. It is. I mean, one of our listeners or, or somebody in our movie group or something once said that the, the toughest villain that Batman ever fought was Joel Schumacher. That, that would have been me. That would have been me. I said that. All right. And see, for me, I, the only thing that kept me going, though, was Batman the Animated Series and then and then Batman Beyond and Justice League. I mean, the, the Bruce Tim Paul Dini-verse kept my love going. And actually, that's what kind of got me excited because when this movie came out and they started announcing characters, I mean, you know, Jonathan Crane and Rachel ghoul and like these are characters that i only knew their names because they were first introduced to me on the animated series so when i'm watching the the cast list coming out i'm looking at these characters going dude that's a pull and and 
so and and that's what kind of got me sort of it's sort of low level interested was because wow that's a character I didn't even know about and they're putting that in a movie this is gonna be awesome and then I and then I knew that Ken uh, Watanabe who was credited as Rachel Ghoul and all the lead up materials I knew he'd been in the Last Samurai and Liam Neeson was gonna be in the movie and Michael Caine was gonna be in the movie you know Gary Oldman was gonna be in the movie you know these were names that like I knew from you know movies and BBC stuff and I was just like wow like I had no idea who I mean I had seen Christian Bale in American Psycho at this point but I really didn't know who he was you know like and I'd seen Equilibrium but it didn't click with me but these names were like ooh they're in this movie and Morgan Freeman's in this movie it's like that's kind of what got my wheels turning like wow there's some really good talent in this movie yeah I I was the same way like that that I agree with is I do remember like as it was being cast being like oh wow Michael Caine Gary Oldman Liam Neeson okay good people good people um and I remember when they announced Katie Holmes I was like that is not who I would have imagined for Talia Mm -hmm. (laughs) and Because I knew that Ra's al Ghul was in the film, yeah. so the female lead had to be Talia. Who else could it be? And uh, yeah, little did I know. Okay, we need to get into this film. So uh, real quickly, a couple things we hadn't touched on. So of course, we, we mentioned that this is directed by Christopher Nolan. This is written by Christopher Nolan and David Goyer. And uh, the way this kind of worked out, David Goyer originally had presented some kind of ideas about what he wanted to do in a Batman film. Christopher Nolan said we really he really liked it. He said, we got to do this film. And they used to spend a lot of time uh, as it was kind of reported by those guys that they sat at a restaurant kind of going back and forth and you know kicking around some ideas and all that and uh, they they finally kind of fleshed out the screenplay so I don't know how much of the story is David Goyer's writing and how much is Christopher Nolan but I, I kind of look at it as a, it seems like a pretty big collaboration between these two well they've got the and word not the ampersand so that meant that probably Goyer wrote the first draft and then Nolan did a pass on it based on like writer credit things that go on, on screen credits so and I know that Goyer kind of got the idea because I remember on the Batman Begins DVD, you know, he talked about walking into the comic book shop and picking up all these Batman comics. And obviously one of them must have been year one based on the way this movie's written. So um, so I, I think what it was is Goyer probably wrote the first draft and then Nolan did a pass on it. And that's what we ended up with. And that's what that's what I'm guessing. Well, the, you're you're correct. Um, da- you know, they David Goyer and, and Christopher Nolan had the conversation, but David Goyer was like, I can't write this right now because he was prepping. Blade Trinity. Uh, and after he and Christopher Nolan had the conversation, Christopher Nolan's like, you've got to work on this with me. So David Goyer moved into Chris Nolan's garage and started working with him on the script. And he did. He wrote the he wrote as long as he could until he had to go focus on Blade. And then once he did, he handed the script to Christopher Nolan, who then took his own pass on. Yeah. It. Yeah. He basically kind of squeezed it in in overtime, essentially. He was, right. He was, yeah. So but man, the cast that they started, like when I started hearing about the cast that they put into this film, I mean, we, so we talked about Christian Bale. Uh, I was a big Christian Bale fan already. Uh, I really liked what he was doing, and and um, it just looked like he was on a great trajectory, which you know turned out to be correct. I mean, such a phenomenal actor. But when you talk about you know Michael Caine being added to the cast, Liam Neeson, uh, Gary Oldman, you know who had always played villains, <laughs> this was like the kind of first thing when you heard that he was going to be Jim Gordon. I'm like, I mean, he's just a great actor to begin with. And then uh, I remember when they had Cillian Murphy, it was going to be uh, Jonathan Crane because I had seen him in I think it was uh, was it seven seven weeks later 28 or 28 20 or, days yeah, later sorry i'm mixing up films yeah 28 days later um that's the first time i had seen him 
I'm like, wow, that's a kind of an interesting choice as well. And then, uh, of course, Morgan Freeman. And just like it was, I was getting so excited because of the cast that they were throwing together here. Uh, I was, you know, I was interested in Katie Holmes. I actually didn't know a whole lot about her because I never watched Dawson's Creek or anything. So I didn't know, you know, how good she was. But I'm like, OK, I mean, looking at all these other actors, I feel like, you know, she's going to fit right in there. Well, what she would hurt, what was hurting the film a little bit at that point too, kind of going about what was going against the film. That was also when Tom Cruise and Katie Holmes like first got married or when their relationship was kind of heating up. And I remember there was a lot of anti-Katie Holmes just because Tom Cruise was really crazy. You know, that was, I think, when he jumped on the couch on Oprah, on the Oprah Winfrey show or something. And so there was some backlash against the film for Katie Holmes being in it. I do remember that. So that was also going against the film going into like opening weekend and stuff. So at any rate, I mean, it was so not only was that it seemed like uh, the story, the Batman story was being taken very seriously. We were getting an origin story. And then on top of it, you just had super serious and talented group of actors being thrown into this. So um, that's that's what they set up with this film. And so, you know, instead of like maybe giving a synopsis of the film, let's just get right into it. Um, You know, this is an origin film, you know, for Batman. And up to this point, we had never really seen like a full, complete origin of Batman. I mean, we've seen like elements of Batman's origin, like year one, you know, have elements of it. But this is like kind of from uh, from beginning to end, like really what kind of motivated and brought Batman to where he was. I mean, this is kind of like the first representation we really saw. What got me was the fact that, it, you know, I remember kind of first hearing about it through, once again, Batman. The, everything goes back to Batman the Animated Series for me. But the idea of that traveling abroad and getting trained before coming back to Gotham, because, I mean, that's when year one begins. Year one begins with with him literally on the plane coming back to Gotham after his uh, training around the world. So the idea of a movie going deep enough to go, no, we're going to tell a version of him leaving, getting trained, and then coming back. I That was part of the origin that I was like, wow, they went there. And then the incorporation of Rachel Ghoul as part of that backstory was, uh, I thought, an interesting twist. Especially for a character that, unless you're a comic book nerd or an animated series fan, you had no idea who that character was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I did have a problem when they called him Ra's al Ghul, though. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, I still have that. a problem with that to that day. <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Ra's guy, so I'm sticking with Ra's. Both of us are Ra's guys, oh. so let's not make that a point of contention. It's just how I've always read it. It's mostly how I've heard it. I've heard that literally both creators of the characters say, yes, it's Raish, yes, it's Ra's. So, I mean, I don't believe that there is a right or wrong way to say it. <laughs> oh, no, there, no, actually, the woman the... does at the end of the film where she says Ra's al Ghul. Okay, so. go get him, No, Scott. here's the thing. Actually, <laughs> in Arabic, uh, both pronunciations are correct. One refers to demon's head, head as in the physical head. The other one translates as a head or as in the guy in charge. So technically in Arabic, both pronunciations are valid and correct. And that's why I think it's okay. Uh, I, I was like, enough, enough respected people have called it both things on both sides. And so I'm like, I think that everybody's okay. Yeah. I have no problem but with I, that. But I think Scott's point is, you know, they both are valid, so it doesn't matter. Right, exactly. Um, yeah, it's one of those Batman nerd arguments where I was like, does it really matter? Say, <laughs> no, it, say what it you want. doesn't. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like it, it is interesting that, you know, usually when it comes to Batman's origin, you get, you get the gunshots, you get the pearls f- falling and then cut to 30 year old Bruce in the suit. Like it, it tends to be that. Um, when I was younger though, I did read Denny O'Neill's The Man Who Falls mm-hmm. and I was really familiar with that story. I thought it was a very famous story. 
I have learned since then, it's not. It was in the Secret Origins graphic novel that I owned, so I read over and over and over again because I was a kid, and apparently that was the only place it had been published, is to my understanding, uh, until they they ended up reprinting it and putting in with the Batman Begins DVD. Um, and so when I started seeing what Batman Begins was, I was like, oh, it's the man who falls. Got it. Cool. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're making that into a movie. And so I immediately made that connection. And then the other piece was that Ducard, is in that story and then Ducard also shows up in some of the Robin I think it was the Robin miniseries Ducard shows up and so when I was like oh Liam Neeson is Ducard and that was when that was what made me go oh deep cuts because for me Ra's al Ghul I mean he at that at that point for me he I, I, I had already been saying why hasn't he been in a movie um and Scarecrow too but like Ducard I was like that is very obscure so I gave them credit for that yeah I think that's also why when we jump ahead later to the reveal you know towards the end of the movie that's why it got me because i was like well i know these are legitimate characters so it's like i I wasn't prepared for the twist at the end where i was like okay you fooled me good job good job (laughs) yeah Yeah, here i'm gonna go starting to pounce around a little bit but when raz al ghul was left for dead in that burning building in the himalayas or wherever it's at Mm -hmm. i was raged pissed off because i'd waited for so long to see raz al ghul (laughs) in a film and he was immediately dead and he was immediately dead (laughs) and i Uh, love ken watanabe i i I think he's a fantastic actor too so i was i was extra pissed that i only got about two minutes of him and and so well used in this film mm-hmm. and the most awkward clapping i have ever seen in any <laughs> the slow clap <laughs> oh. who claps like that yeah, apparently he does <laughs> so i thought it was interesting how this film began and it's interesting because i make connections to man of steel with the very with the very beginning half of the film being a very non-linear narrative mm-hmm. and then once you've gotten enough flashbacks to kind of fill in the gaps then like at the halfway a little bit before the halfway point then it becomes completely linear right. from that point on yeah aside from a, a few occasional quick flashbacks but uh, what, what I think what made this work is they they really only had three different time periods in this film you had uh, you know basically Bruce as a young boy before his parents murder and then you had uh, him as a young adult uh, before he heads off to um, the Bhutan uh, the Bhutanese I guess monasteries and all that uh, so that was um, so you just had those two time periods and then you had the current time period to like um, and so it was it was actually pretty easy to follow you know where you were at when you when they did the flashbacks so that that made it work for me pretty well no I I, I think the nonlinear structure was brilliant and uh, and it's not an easy thing to do but that is Nolan's genius and that he makes it look easy because you're never as a viewer you're never confused you always know where you're at what you're seeing how it fits in and that is done so seamlessly in the in the first half of this film and I love that and what I I think how the film I think really benefits from it is that because of the non-linear narrative and because of how much is going on and how much information you're getting plus with the amazing score by Hans Zimmer and James Newton Howard the entire movie from the get-go has an amazing energy and has this propulsive momentum that it's that the movie is moving the second it starts and you jump on and you go for the ride there there's like no dead time there's no downtime it's cut so tight it keeps moving and the nonlinear narrative, I think, just supports that mm-hmm. because 
you you never have a moment to to get bored because you're immediately jumped to, to the next important thing and it's done so well that's one thing i love like i always think about it the, the moment the moment the movie starts and you see young bruce running with the arrowhead mm-hmm. and that music kicks in you're off to the races immediately yeah it, it was so energetic right away from the start uh it it starts off with kind of the blurred running of young bruce and i don't know there's something about that in the hans zimmer score that just just immediately gets you like i don't know you're just your energy level is up right away that's how it was for mm-hmm. me i was just hooked yeah. you know so that was just a great way to start off I, I really liked how he started off showing um young bruce who you know happy young innocent energetic and then completely you know once he falls into that that well it cuts over to it cuts over to bruce who's in that bhutanese prison and it's just such a juxtaposition of where they were at in life i still love the i mean i still love the fact that he's in a prison you know he, he's already fighting criminals you know when when he's older and like you said it, it's the, the the young happy and then you know if you know batman you know what's already happened mm-hmm. even without the movie telling you what's happened so you're so for a batman fan you're like yep that's what he was that's where he ended up and then maybe for a non-batman fan someone who isn't familiar with the story you know you got people going how did he get from there to there mm-hmm. yeah you know, it mm-hmm. works on both levels that way that's a great point yeah um but i'll tell you what i mean that was a great intro of bruce wayne as well because you see him all ragged and dirty and he's got the beard you know a bit haggard and and he's just in that prison cell and then they go out into that courtyard and it just had such a great moving feel to it like it just the story was just moving to me and i wanted to know what's going on why is he there and there was just so many questions and and uh, immediately he gets into that big prison fight <laughs> which has one of my favorite lines in the movie which is you're not the devil your practice yeah which was the exact moment i knew i was going to love that movie yeah <laughs> All right. Well, I'll I'll be a slight I'll be a slightly dissenter here. Um, if I like David Goyer a lot, I think if David Goyer has uh, one of David Goyer's downsides, he can be awfully on the nose. <laughs> um, he lacks subtlety in a lot of his dialogue. Mm-hmm. So so the you're not the devil, your practice. I'm like that's really on the nose, <laughs> <laughs> especially because at this point Bruce doesn't even know what he wants to do. Um, so because he's lost, as Ducard is about to tell him and he doesn't know to that he's going to become a symbol and he doesn't know what he's going to do um the your practice line i get it it's cool but i also think it's a little too on the nose <laughs> oh i think you're well while i can while i appreciate your criticism of goyer because actually you should listen to tim's criticism about dialogue in man of steel mm-hmm. uh, along the same lines right. um I, it's still a great line it is no I, I i will i yeah i will totally give that to you yeah it's kind of funny you say that andy because i mean that's one that i never really kind of had a problem with i mean i i understand i understand your point i understand where you're coming from but like to me there's much worse offenders <laughs> oh we're gonna get we're gonna we're gonna get into fear fear more fear and yeah. fear is this and fear is that and this is about fear because if you didn't know this movie <laughs> it's about come fear. Here, i want to tell you a secret come closer the movie's about fear <laughs> oh and by the way if you played the xbox game you had a fear meter it was all about oh i remember fear meter, yeah. oh i love yeah that game was awesome that was an awesome game yeah yeah. I'll toss my two cents in on it and and I'll say I, I see totally where you're coming from, Andy. But for me, that was kind of a moment of exposition. They were kind 
of letting the audience know he's looking for these sort of confrontations. That's that's basically why he's in the position that he's in is he's l- actively seeking out these sort of predicaments to see how he can get himself out of it, to better himself in that fashion. Now, whether it was a little bit of clumsiness and delivery or writing or what have you, I, I couldn't say either way. I, I like the line. It works for me, but I think that's exactly why the line is there. So they let the audience know he's seeking this out. It's not yeah. something that he's stuck with. It's something that he stuck himself with. Essentially. Yeah, that, that makes that makes total sense. I, I get that. And and, and kind of what to what Scott said earlier is for 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 fans like us, him saying your practice, we already know that. Like, but for the people who are going, why is Bruce Wayne in prison? That that's when it serves more purpose. So I took. Yeah, I'll, I'll, absolutely. I, I I see what you're saying. That's something we we as, as as like dedicated and hardcore fans like we are. We always have to try to temper ourselves and remember this is not just for us. So we've seen the resolve of what happens when you make a particularly a DC movie and try to leave some things up to people to figure out for themselves, and people don't tend to react well to that. From my experience, anyway. But that is true. That is true. I, I'm sure you've all experienced much the same thing in certain discussions here and there. But anyway, I digress on that matter. We're not talking about that tonight. <laughs> no doubt. Uh, how did you guys like the intro of Rachel Raz Al Ghul in? Uh, no, what are you talking about, Tim? His name is Ducard. It's Ducard. <laughs> it's Ducard. <laughs> yeah. So, well, okay, we'll we'll play the Ducard card uh, when Ducard actually comes oh, into the cell. Oh no, 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 no. <laughs> so when he actually comes in, like I thought it was a great intro, like a great first interaction between um, you know Raz Al Ghul slash Ducard and Bruce Wayne uh, in itself. Um, you know, he's when he just immediately lets. Wayne know that he knows who he is. He, he says, you know, I counted six, Mr. Wayne. Uh, but there was seven. So yeah, yeah. point to Bruce. Yeah. Bruce is not wrong. Um, Bruce is not wrong. But 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 I would say this. I would say this though, Andy, because I went back and I, I checked that out myself. There were six down in the, the basin, you know, at the bottom mm-hmm. of that hill. There were six there. The one guy that he first took out, he never made it down to the bottom of that hill. So he oh. was actually number seven. So actually, I think they were both right. Okay. <laughs> well, which which honestly is, is kind of perfect because they both see things uh, and justify them from their own perspective. So that makes There's sense. the first really deep cut of this episode, boys. <laughs> so there you go. But where does fear fit into that? That's what I want to understand. Well, yeah, it's <laughs> it's so fear. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's a great intro. I mean, I... It, it is a great intro I just for, love for the, Ducard. Yeah, yeah, I love the chemistry between them. Like, it just felt, um, I don't know, just, I don't know how to describe it. It just felt like really um, grand, you know, those two talking to each other. Well, and it was so smart to to cast Liam Neeson in this role because he is this this fatherly wise presence and so you know I mean I, not you know not to get of our house ahead of ourselves but this is another movie that's very much about daddy issues right um and you know for someone whose father was taken from him and now this this surrogate father steps in and when you see Liam Neeson as a moviegoer you're like oh he just puts me at ease he's so he's so smart he's so good and so you immediately trust him he he's 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 talking truth he's dropping truths on bruce wayne you're truly lost and we're like yeah this guy knows what's up and it's a great way to to play with our expectations knowing where then things end up with the character right um can i say that it's it's
it's I, I, I'm gonna get my nitpick in Andy because this is this is my nitpick there was one cut in this film that to this day I was watching it last night and it still jars me and it's jarred me since day one right after this scene where Rayshard Gould basically tells him I've paid them off they're gonna release you tomorrow when they release you come get that flower and come meet me in the mountains and you know it, we'll start your training when they cut from the prison sale to all of a sudden him rolling and falling off of the truck like you didn't see him get thrown off the truck you just see him rolling I don't know what it is but that one cut is the one thing that after what was it 12 years now after 12 years that one cut just still like jars me and I'm just like I, I, I it bothers it's the only thing about this movie it is so weird it's so random to go that just doesn't feel right I, I don't know it just to, doesn't feel smooth I don't know what to do with the two of you guys <laughs> Between Andy's uh, dislike of that one line and then you being uh, having a problem with the, that cut, I don't know what to do because there's there's other issues in this film <laughs> that we'll get into. And again, I didn't even. It's not even that I dislike the line. I just thought it was a bit much. <laughs> you don't have to That's defend all. it any longer. <laughs> it's a bit much. Um, to, to extend I, what we were talking about with the uh, the introduction of Ducard Al Gould, I mean, let's just cut the spoiler thing right out. Anybody listening to this show has seen this movie. Sure. Uh, to Raz Al Ghul, I, I mentioned earlier that. When they asked me when we walked out of this theater after our first viewing, what did you think of the film? And I told them that I didn't think I'd ever seen a movie that took so much creative liberty, yet still say, stayed so true. That wasn't only the case with Batman. That was very much the case with Ra's al Ghul's character as well. And in truth, the relationships in this movie that, that you see and that you appreciate, whether it be with Bruce and Rachel, Bruce and Alfred, uh, Bruce and his father as a child. Um, Batman and Gordon. Mm-hmm. Batman and Gordon, thank you. Uh, there is no relationship in this film as great as all those other ones are that I like better than the Bruce and Roz relationship because to me that is what makes Roz Batman's ultimate villain is the fact that the two of them can stand there and converse before they try to take each other's heads off or they try to outwit each other they try to outmatch each other's brains I mean it's such a deep and powerful and strong and amazing relationship that they have even though it may not always be an amicable one and I think this movie puts that on display in the best fashion that I ever could have hoped for and I think they put the big part of that comes from Neeson's performance and Bale's performance. And I, I just absolutely adore every scene that those two are in together, mostly when they're talking than when they're fighting, because that's well, what I come that's what I've come to expect from Batman and Ra's al Ghul. Well, from from this film though, because normally when you see Rachel Ghoul and Batman uh meeting up, you know, Batman's been Batman for a while. And and that's why I always love because you know, I'll always hear David Warner's voice whenever I think of Rachel Ghoul. And, you know, the fact that he always addresses him as detective, as sort of a a, a type of respect. That is what you are. And so the idea in this movie, because we are literally seeing Rachel Ghoul, Raza Ghoul, seeing Bruce before he becomes Batman, actually kind of instrumental in him becoming Batman, is the idea is that the respect is there because Raz sees the potential in what he can be, even before Bruce sees the potential in himself. And so so Raz is almost almost has even more respect for Bruce than Bruce has for himself because he sees what he can become. Which which again plays very much out of the comics because that's initially what Roz wants from Batman is is well I, I, maybe not even so much as initially but I mean that that's kind of the heart of the relationship is Roz basically wants Batman to succeed him I mean he, yeah, he, he wants, wants an heir. to join him I mean it's again very, very, I, th- I think it was very true to that in this film even though the 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 origins and the and the initial meetup and, and what have you may not have been anywhere close to the same as what we had in comics or animated series or anything else I still think that the heart of that relationship is very much intact and very well done mm-hmm. yeah well, and it almost works better because they now have a history. It's not like it's not like Roz discovered Batman as Batman, and it was an advers 
adversary he respected. I mean, they have this history together. He helped him make him who he was. Um, and through that relationship, he's like, yes, this is the one who should be at my side. This is the one who should be leading these men. This is the one who should be heading up our attacks on Gotham and everything. And so the end result is the same. It just got there in its own unique way, but the heart of it is still true. And it works so well for this as we, we go back and we've used this term before in this, as we've been talking, the idea of this as an origin movie. Because what you always have in an origin movie is you, you, of course, have the people who they know what the final outcome is. So part of the fun in an origin movie is how did we get there? It's like a, it's like a prequel. You know, we know what the end result is. We want to see the building blocks. We want to see how are you going to get to the end that we all know there is. So the best part about having Ra's al Ghul there is kind of a trainer, especially with the whole League of Shadows, League of Assassins, Sh- Society of Shadows, whatever it's been called in various media throughout. It's League of Shadows in this movie. Uh, but you are you have someone who would legitimately teach Bruce the tricks and the skills that he would eventually use. But then as a Batman fan, you're going, oh, there's the there's the gas, you know, the the, the, the smoke that he'll disappear into. Or, oh, when they're like doing the sword fight on the frozen lake, there are the gauntlets that is going to be part of his costume. And like you see the pieces and parts being introduced. And so that's kind of the fun as a Batman fan going, oh, so that's how they're going to do that. Oh, that's how they're going to do that. And it's kind of, it kind of becomes the checklist of, okay, where are the pieces and parts we need to make Batman by the by the end of this movie? Yeah. And this was, uh, I mean, this was, I, I think, and, and maybe you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, I, I think this was kind of a bold move to do an origin story as long as they did. Because uh, if I'm not mistaken, we don't see Batman in costume until just over an hour into this film. It's like an hour and two minutes. Yeah, an it's hour like an hour and two yeah, minutes, yeah. right? The, the doc scene starts literally at the hour. It does, yeah. That starts at the hour mark. And yeah. even then, you don't like quite... Flash, Flash steps out of the limo at the hour mark. Right. And you don't even... And during the whole fight scene, you really don't even see Batman because of the uh, the, the the crazy filming style that Nolan used where during the fight scenes, you, you really can't see anything. It's just this It's just this big blur of like action. Like That's one of my criticisms of Nolan is like his fight scenes were so difficult to kind of comprehend what was going on. And and I've seen that critique a lot and I've seen a lot of people levy that against him and, and I, I, I won't say you're wrong, but I, I've seen a lot of people levy that critique against him by saying that he doesn't know how to film an action sequence. But to me, and maybe it's just because I'm a Nolan apologist or maybe it's because I blindly love these movies. Maybe it's just my personal translation. I absolutely believe he does that on purpose to give you the feeling of that franticness. Uh, if you've ever seen any of the Bourne movies, which I'm not a big Jason Bourne fan, but if you've seen a lot of these movies where they have that really frenetic cam- camera movement going on, I think that's kind of the same style that Nolan does, but he does it in a different way. And it's not clear. It's not easy to follow or anything else, but I think it's done very deliberately so that you get the feeling that that's kind of how it is when you're in a fight. I mean, it, you you don't get a clear view of everything. You don't feel everything, see everything, hear everything. It's just kind of a big jumbled mess. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it's because it makes it makes Batman feel like this. It adds to that otherworldliness, that that uh, that idea that he is a symbol, that he is an idea. It's like you don't even get to see the guy fight because the guys he's fighting against don't even know what's going on. It's like the, you know you're getting the cuts. And I level, and I only see it as a critique now after seeing you know like the Martha rescue from BVS and going, oh, that's what I want to see. <laughs> but yeah. when you stop and go, but, but no, that's apples and oranges. Yes, they're both Batman fight scenes, but what they were going for was two completely different things. And so you really don't critique one by showing the other mm-hmm. because they weren't trying to do the same thing. Yeah. Right. And number one, you called it the Martha rescue, so well done. I listened 
to your interview. Yes, Thank I did. Uh, but no, it was definitely a deliberate decision made by uh, by Nolan that, yeah, Batman is not trying to, to make it pretty. He just needs to take these guys out fast and, excuse me, fast and furiously. Um, <laughs> Leroy just threw a fit. Way to go, Andy. <laughs> uh, he'll live. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's, it's about function. It's not about style. I mean, and it's set up at the very beginning with, with when uh, Ducard says, this is not a dance. And that was, that line was Nolan's approach to the fighting for Batman in the film is it's not a dance. It's how do you take out these dangerous guys as quickly and as efficiently as possible? And then the way he shot it and edited it just showed the confusion from the criminal's perspective of before you even know there is a Batman, he's taken you out. So I think it was deliberate. I also understand the criticism. For most of the movie, I don't mind it. I think where it really suffers is the final fight, but we don't want to jump there. Um, but I want to go back to what Tim was saying about about the the decision to make it an origin story and to not give us Batman for an hour. Once you say that, that totally you know sparked something in my brain that that reminded me of that was another reason I wasn't excited about this movie mm-hmm. because I was like I'm gonna have to sit through an hour before I get to see Batman. I knew that going into the movie because I had just and and I really like this movie so I so don't take it the wrong way is Spider Man where I was like I was like okay Peter just put on the suit now I'm ready for the suit um and I didn't want it to be like that and so going to see Batman Begins I'm like oh, I just hope I'm not I'm, I hope I don't get bored waiting for him to put on the damn suit and they're so good at what they do that I forget there's gonna be a suit because I got so sucked in that I'm like oh yeah Andy's gonna be Batman like so they this is the prime sterling A plus example of how you do this of how you get the audience so invested in your character that the audience isn't looking at their watch going all right put on the cape yeah so I mean looking back at this film now after you know just watching this past week like I enjoy the first half of this film more so than the second half and I'm not saying like I think the second half was bad by any means the second half was awesome but I really really like the story and I like the build up and I like you know establishing you know what were all the motivations and and the um, the machinations that Bruce Wayne had to go through to try to figure out what he wanted to be or what you know what really was motivating him and so like this part of the story to me is like is what really sells this movie I I love I love the aesthetics of it I love the 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 travels him hiking up the mountains I love the the design of the monastery um, everything that happens up there with Ra's al Ghul and and the rest of the League of Shadows like all that stuff is just so compelling to me the the fight on the ice or the, you know the training on the ice and and the the simple flashbacks we have to to and the one that gets to one of my favorite scenes where it was a flashback to when he fell into the well you know from the very opening part of the film well we finally get it resolved at a flashback a little bit further into the film where it shows Bruce's father coming down and and rescuing him and taking him back up and and one of the my favorite lines of all time which I've actually used with my children as well is like you know why do we fall Bruce and so we can learn to pick ourselves up like I love that line I don't know do you, do you like that is 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 that a little bit too on the nose is that too on your nose for you Andy is that too on the nose Andy <laughs> nope that line is fantastic okay because I love that line no that line is fantastic because that's not when I say on the nose I mean 
between over explaining something <laughs> I, it, like almost you. almost like insulting your intelligence <laughs> like by by saying we don't think you'll get this so we're just going to hit you over the head with it um this isn't that this is something you know this is something completely different it's one of the one of the themes of the film um and you know and, and a beautiful through line throughout the film no i i i adore this that line and, and that sentiment yeah but i mean just even this whole segment of the film just some of the other flashbacks were just so moving to me like uh you know showing bruce talking or uh, actually just showing thomas wayne talking to bruce you know in his bed and that's where they first talk about fear and you know bruce was really frightened of course by the bats and all that and i love the interaction it like it was so genuine it's so heart uh, heartwarming you know all creatures feel fear and bruce comes back even the scary ones like to me that that interaction was just so touching like it, i felt like there was a real genuine love uh between the father and son at this point and it's very it, like very tender and it, and it's striking to me when you look at that scene they portrayed thomas wayne as a very tender and loving father with young bruce and if you kind of compare that to what you know chris terrio and snyder did in batman v superman i kind of felt like you know the little bit we got of thomas wayne in there it was a much different thomas wayne like it was a thomas wayne uh when we saw you know at the moment of of the wayne murders you know thomas wayne wasn't tender like he was ready to clench his fist and try to fight back and so it's it's interesting how different um those relate you know that father-son relationship seems to be between those two films but i i definitely really really liked the interpretation in this film it was just so uh i don't know i mean especially as a father uh, just just seeing those moments like you can completely relate okay i want to okay thank thank you tim for helping me segue into what i wanted to talk about which is kind of another one of those father this movie is riddled with father figures Mm -hmm. and the one i wanted to kind of get us on the train is is gary oldman as jim gordon because i love that i mean his introduction into the film as a beat cop who who happened to be there at the station the night that bruce's parents were killed and that he was there to put his dad's jacket on him and offering some comforting words and try to probably be the one person who's like kid this is rough but you will be okay and of course now that i've seen the entire trilogy the payoff for that in rises which is still one of my favorite moments in dark knight rises uh you know the i you know the, the you know the moment i'm talking about a hero can be anyone yeah you know that thing i i i, I cry my man tears every time i see that scene in rises because i remember this scene in batman begins and how it was set up so well and 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 oldman's performance where you're just like he's not trying to overstate it. he's not trying to be those people who are who are so trying to make things look like they're going to be okay that you just want to say shut up you're not helping the situation you can see him going i'm gonna say just enough so i'm telling the truth and comfort you without insulting you in your moment of grief and i thought that was a wonderful introduction to gordon's character to set up a level of trust because i think the as we talked about earlier the relationship between batman and gordon which i think it's played which for the first time in live action gets played up in this film that never got played up at all in any of the other live action interpretations really pays tribute to the batman gordon relationship and the idea of it starting at the night that his parents were killed i thought was an interesting deviation from comics lore but a nice addition to the mythology and i gotta say that that young bruce that actor and i don't know who what his name is but that that young actor who played young bruce wayne was just absolutely phenomenal in every single scene he was in i I, i'm just like so struck by how well he did like i the only other like young young actor that i can think of that uh, really impressed me with how incredible incredible they were in uh, the role was actually young Christian Bale. 
Bale in Empire of the Sun. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that film, but um, he was just a young boy in that film, and, and he was phenomenal in that. And like, I don't know what it was about this kid, and I don't know if he ever went on to do anything else aside from this film. But his like his facial expressions and the way he acted out of scenes was just like top notch. Like I was so convinced that this was really young Bruce Wayne, you know, going through a very tragic uh, event. Yeah, he he is great, and and I want to make a, a an observation based on on the the points that both of you just made is with uh, Thomas Wayne and the actors Linus Roach and he does so much great work with such a small part that he makes Thomas Wayne so real and so loving and so decent and you just like feel this decency just emanating off of this man that you instantly fall in love with him and you grieve with Bruce when you lose him and then you know and then Gary Oldman as as Jim Gordon and that that great tender moment between him and young Bruce that was one thing that I was reminded of when when rewatching this film for this podcast is this is my favorite of the Dark Knight trilogy easily and I think part of that reason is because there's just an extreme amount of warmth and heart to this movie and it's and it's Gordon and Bruce and it's Thomas Wayne and Bruce and it's Alfred and Bruce there's just so much heart throughout that yeah and 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 it really works and so and and the other and, and Dark Knight has has heart as well and so does Rise it's not that those don't but I feel like this one there's there's just more of it and um and those little moments between these characters just really ring true emotionally and I think the movie's stronger for it. yeah absolutely agree and I would also I, I got to throw one more in there and then I want to hear from Jamie because we've kind of kind of like buried him out there for a little bit uh but like that scene it, and it's just a quick flashback when uh when the young adult Bruce is is in his room again and he finds that stethoscope that quick cut scene where it shows Bruce as a boy listening to his father's heart with a stethoscope that scene gets me every single time every single time I see that it's just like it's just so heart-wrenching and touching and my god I like that is I think that might be my favorite scene out of the entire film is that little bit that they did there I I, I can't even be mad at that because it's you know what a seven or eight second scene tops if that yeah and there's no dialogue to it whatsoever it's just some film and some some music and the facial inspe- expressions from both of those actors the the young Bruce and Thomas Wayne the facial expressions conveyed as strong as they are in that short amount of time is nothing short of incredible it, it really is yeah I mean because you you get you know it, it's juxtaposed it's juxtaposed with another scene you know you you get young Bruce listening to his father's heart you know basically listening to life and then the very next scene you have him Bruce lift up a shirt in that suitcase and there's a gun so it's such a it, it was so well done that that entire transition there it, it was just it's 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 it is definitely probably my favorite scene from that whole film yeah, that that's a great moment and there's another great moment that I've always just loved and it's it's when they walk out of the opera and first of all Thomas Wayne gets a lot of great stuff Martha Wayne gets nothing, nothing she gets yeah. nothing in this movie she gets one line which is what's wrong Bruce that's all she gets poor thing yeah um but anyway uh they walk out of the opera and Thomas Wayne says oh you know little opera goes a long way and he just gives this little wink to Bruce mm-hmm. that is so endearing and again it's just it's like you feel this relationship between a father and son and it works beautifully yeah and then it leads into the you know the confrontation with Joe Chill which was awesome because we actually get you know Joe Chill as the killer you know not the Joker, Joker yeah which you know it's just it's just one of those things where it's like yay you know a little pre-crisis you know a little silver age continuity there with who actually killed the Waynes and then of course once it, it, it happens uh once the murder happens you get that great homage to the um the Mazzuccelli cut 
cover from mm-hmm. uh, Batman Year One, right. you know, which is just be- beautiful. Um, even though it done in a completely, you know, for all the for all the crap that Batman movies get for how many times do we have to see the death of the Waynes? It really is interesting as almost as a, a study to just look at the different ways that murder gets portrayed. And what's really interesting is how quick this one is. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. bam, they're gone. And once again, I feel like that's Nolan being sort of impressionistic of going, no, that's how it feels. It's like they're there and then they're not there. And it and it's not, you know, and it's it doesn't take its time. It's not very, it's artistic in its own way, but it's like, no, uh, Thomas jumps in front of Martha and gets shot. And the next thing you know, Martha's down and then they're both dead and chills out the door and we're done. It's a very quick murder scene. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I like high-fived myself in the theater when I was like, it's Joe Chill! Yeah! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, there's there's a lot in this movie that, that I that I had that reaction when I was watching to it because it was all the stuff that, that as much as I love the Burton films and I'm on record for loving them immensely, you know, there were still just parts of Batman that I still never felt like I got to see on the big screen. That was one of them, was Joe Chill. And then the other one you acknowledged, which is the relationship between Batman and Gordon, which we're going to get into as the movie progresses but like when i saw that relationship not only be get, being given time but also just how it grows and and builds throughout the film like that for me makes the movie and so again i was just so happy i'm like yes yes gordon is important this is great i'm so happy i it, it brings me up to another one of my you know I, i've got i recorded favorite lines as i was watching it last night and it goes back to the one where uh bale and when bruce in his sort of proto batman outfit you know puts the stapler to the back of his head and goes <laughs> mm. and Gordon says you're just one man and he just whispers now we're two and it's like yes it's am- amazing mm-hmm. that's, yeah. that's the Batman line. Gordon relationship in two lines mm-hmm. you're yeah. just one man now we're two yeah I adore it can I can I talk about another scene uh, that I just really really just adore in this film uh, when Bruce is in the courtroom and Joe Chill gives his little uh, you know uh, please put you know free me on parole uh, speech and all that the seething that Christian Bale has there just staring at Joe Chill like that he didn't say anything he hardly gave any uh, you know changing uh, look in his face and all that but you could just tell that like he was just boiling inside that I, I just absolutely love that scene like I it, it was it was so simple just slowly kind of zooming in on Christian Bale but man that just like was that explained exactly what I felt like Bruce Wayne would have been feeling seeing the killer of his parents right there well and then also on the flip side I have to give props to the guy who played Joe Chill because I loved his performance of he really played like I'm a simple man I made a mistake and I and I'm not going to give any excuses I did something bad and I thought just that was so simple it's like he totally accepts responsibility for what he did and 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 I think it's and so then you almost feel a little bad for Chill when that Falcone soldier you know walks right up to him and just pops him in the middle of the courtroom or the courthouse I'm sorry but you know but it's amazing to watch that scene and he doesn't cop out he doesn't give excuses and yet you still f- kind of feel a little sympathy for Joe Chill which is I think is an interesting um, effect of that performance well let's let's finish out talking about act one of this film and that's where you know w- we've been kind of talking about some of the flashback scenes that really kind of occurred you know building up the story between you know Bruce Wayne and, and Rachel Ghoul here now we're at a point where Rachel Ghoul is you know ex- trying to explain to Bruce what he wants he wants him to to basically take on this uh, 
this goal there is to basically destroy Gotham. And, you know, let's talk about this is where Bruce made the decision that, you know, instead of like going the route that Rachel Ghoul wants to take, which is capital punishment instead of mercy, this is where Bruce makes a firm decision that, you know, he's he's going to choose mercy over capital punishment. And this leads to him just taking out that whole monastery. And uh, this is kind of a somewhat controversial scene. I mean, he there's a lot of a uh, lot of the followers of, you know, the League of Shadows were uh, presumably killed in this battle. What do you guys think of that? You know, with all the criticism that Batman v Superman got, I mean, this is one where, you know, clearly a bunch of people died in that battle. But he wasn't, der- well, oh God. I want you to go right into the argument we give for Batman, sometimes for Batman v Superman. Yeah. Go ahead, I, Jamie. Go. I, I, just, I swear to you, I, I think I, I just want to pass on this topic of conversation altogether <laughs> because I just see the road it's going to go down and I have not had enough to drink to have the discussion. <laughs> Oh, come on. You've you've had enough. Go ahead. Go ahead, Jamie. Uh, go for it. Well, I mean, I, for me, let me just say this. I think for my point is like, I didn't have any problem with this scene at all. No, nobody had any problem with this scene. Yeah. Literally, the problem never came up until I, I think literally the first criticism I heard weighed against any of the Batman films for it whatsoever was Dark Knight Rises, where he gives the whole no guns, no killing speech to Catwoman. And then he's driving around with these guns on the front of his motorcycle, guns on the front of the the bat and I mean just I mean everything he's got has a gun except for his hand and I mean he is directly responsible for people's deaths in that film too and I mean and this one uh, just in in Dark Knight and in all of them I mean the the overlying thing of this trilogy was Batman's not going to kill anybody because it's not his way and Batman's body counts borderline commando on these things so okay that was a bit of an exaggeration I know I know but I mean you get what I'm saying It, it didn't become a point of contention with people until they were out of things to complain about and they wanted to find something else to complain about. That's that's really where it boils down to with me. I mean, I, I would say this, you know, instead of like maybe getting into the whole, that whole topic, because we could talk a whole show about that, but like, this is where the movie really started to heat up, because that Hans Zimmer score came in, and you suddenly saw this big action when he when he flung that ember up into the, I guess all that explosive, uh, explosives up in the balcony, and just things started blowing up, and yeah, things crashing down, and he's, you know, he had knocked out Descartes or Rachel Ghoul, and then he's, you know, fighting uh, Watanabe here, and this, like, up to this point, there hadn't been a whole lot of, like, really big action in this film. And then suddenly it just ramped up out of nowhere. Right. Yeah. yeah that makes sense. Yeah. I, I thought this was, uh, I thought this was a great way to kind of end that first act. I have, I have no issue with the way things go down. Because, so, yeah. <laughs> In the in the course of what Batman does, sometimes people die. Mm-hmm. That's different than murdering people. It's two different things, you know? And here, he's saying, I'm not going to be an executioner. He was just looking for an out. The way that things escalated, I don't think he foresaw. <laughs> yeah. um, and then and then the movie cheats a little bit with like, oh, the roof falls on on fake Roz because that way we keep Bruce pure that way. And, you right. know, and, and you can do that if you're the filmmaker. You can cheat like that. That's fine. Um, but no. No, I never had an issue with it, but I also get like where people are coming from of like, hey, this is a guy who just said I'm not an executioner, but all these people just died. Mm. Like, I get it. But again, he was just trying to get out. So he didn't get killed. He probably didn't know how things were going to go down. Yeah. Um, there's I, some things later. There's some things later on that I think the movie cheats on as well. <laughs> um, Tumblr chase. But right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have notes about that later. <laughs> um, but anyway, but no, like I never had an issue with it because again, like that was not his intent. 
intent. Um, but I, I, uh, it is, you're right. It's a great finale for the end of act one, but we jumped over some good stuff. And so I, I want to, yeah. I want to go back just a tiny bit. Double back. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. We, we, cause we, we jumped over Tom Wilkinson as Falcone. Oh, oh yeah. Who's, yes. Who's so good. Um, I love the way that Nolan cast even these supporting roles with these great actors like Wilkinson as Falcone. And there's the amazing scene between him and Bruce Wayne in that booth. And I yeah. adore that scene. Um, and he just kills that monologue he just oh my god like like a dog with a raw steak he just sinks his teeth into it and he kills it it's amazing and i love that falcone is the one who inspires bruce to to get on this path to being batman because he was going about it the wrong way and it takes a mob boss to be like you don't you don't you've never tasted desperation you don't understand what this world is like i love that um and again that's the power of fear and you always fear what you don't understand because the movie's about fear. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's also the fact that you get a performance of Falcone because normally when you see Carmine Falcone portrayed, he's usually kind of in that sort of Vito Cal- uh, Corleone kind of perspective. This one feels like, you know, the blue collar guy who just happened to work himself up and like he buys nice suits and he's the head of a crime family, but he's he's still that working guy on the street because Wilkinson, I- I'm trying to nail the, the dialect and the accent that he's using. But, you know, like he begged like a dog. You know, and, and, he's, and, he's, and he's got that very sort of blue-collar, uneducated, uncouth version, and he's not like Marlon Brando in The Godfather. Mm-hmm. So it's even a different take on Falcone where he's, he's you feel like he worked himself up to become, to, to be where he is, which makes it even more powerful what he's saying to Bruce in that scene. It's like, when he talks about you haven't tasted desperation, it's like, but you have. You can hear it in his voice like you scrounged in the streets you had to kill your way up to the top and now you're at the top and that's why he's kind of flaunting is the power he has now achieved after probably years of scraping by it's just amazing the way he portrayed the character as well i mean he just you know not only did he kind of put bruce in his place that he doesn't understand what it's like to to have to beg for anything but then at the very end he just wants to dig that knife into him a little bit lower oh, just basically yeah. you know such a bastard yeah a real <laughs> bastard i mean it's just like basically you know, the young boy's parents are murdered in front of him, and he's like, yeah, your dad begged like a dog. I, oh, Ugh, I, it's just like, yeah. you just wanted, at that moment, you're like, yeah, you're cold. You're like, oh, this guy's got to die. <laughs> you got to get this guy somehow. Yeah, he's a dead man. <laughs> yeah. Um, we also missed the intro of uh, Rachel Dawes, Katie Holmes. Yes. And Katie Holmes gets a bum rap on this movie. I don't think she's bad. I like her. I think she does a good job. But she gets a lot of grief. I think, yes, she's probably the weakest link. But the, this is a chain that's made of links like Michael Caine and Gary Oldman. That's so the problem. <laughs> that's a tough. That's a tough chain to you know be the strong link on. But I still think she does a good job. She's not amazing, but I, I think that some of the grief that she has gotten over the years is a little uncalled for. Um, I think she does well. Well, I think there's two issues with her. One, you nailed uh, the one, Andy. She's she's being compared to all these like incredible actors, you know, which is pretty unfair. Uh, the second problem is I feel like she age wise does not stand well up against Christian Bale. Like, she distinctly yeah, looks yeah, quite a bit sense. younger, and I think that's to her detriment. You're right. Yeah, because because he looks... I'll, I'll give a fair uh, rebuttal to that in that I'm two years older than my wife. My wife looks easily 
15 years younger than I do. So, I mean, some people age differently. So, I mean, I can let that part of it slide. I I get what you're saying and you're not wrong. I'm just saying some people do age differently. The, the thing I want to point out is for all the people that want to give her flack for, you know, her performance, maybe not being as good as anybody else's in this films, which, which I'm with Andy. I, I, I think it's fine. I don't think it's incredible. It's not game changing. I think Maggie Gyllenhaal is a vastly superior actress to Katie Holmes. And I think she did an outstanding job in the dark night, which is absolutely a conversation for another day. But what did everybody levy against her constantly? Nobody, I've never heard anybody talk about her performance, but me, all they want to say is God, she's dog ugly, which I don't agree with that either, but that's another story too. So, I mean, people just want to give funny criticisms about a lot of things that really, I don't think are fair. And, and I, I am in agreement. I don't think the criticism against her in this film is, is all that fair, even though I don't think she's an amazing actress. I, I think she was perfectly fine in this role and I, I wasn't taken out of it or anything by her at any point in the film. And, and, and the story is that the studio pushed her on the film. Um, and who knows, who knows how true that is, but that, you know, that's the story, but I think that she steps up admirably. Um, I get it. Yeah. She does come off a little young. Um, I would, I, I wish she would have come back for dark Knight, but just cause I am a sucker for continuity like that, that, that always like digs in me when I'm like, Oh, that doesn't match. I think, I think they should release a special good. edition where they go back and add Ma- Maggie Gyllenhaal into the first movie. <laughs> Stop yourself. Or, or that I'd be fine <laughs> with that. I'd be fine with that too. But she's also like the only American in the cast. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, besides Morgan, except for Morgan Freeman. Okay. Morgan Freeman. There you go. Morgan Freeman. Yeah. Cause everyone, yeah, almost oh, like some of the minor ones. I'm sure Flass is American. He, <laughs> he looks like one of us. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like, I mean, almost everyone else is, is European. So, yeah. you know, get a little, a little American pride in there. Um, <laughs> but she also gives, she also gives the line of, uh, you know, she gives the whole, uh, speech to, to Bruce about, you know, justice versus vengeance. And that's, you know, that's really important too. Um, one of many guilt trips she lays on Bruce throughout the film. Uh, but the first and probably the most important one, because this is where he has kind of lost his way and he was going to do something that he probably would have eventually regretted. Um, and that conversation really also kind of helps shape his path. And then it does come back very importantly later on about justice's balance. So we also have to go back and touch on the, the ninja training slash final initiation sequence with Bruce. Uh, everybody's decked out in their ninja costumes and, you know, Ducard is talking to him and everybody's kind of shifting positions. And I mean, just to cut to the chase of it, eventually it gets to the point where Bruce gets cut on the arm and then Bruce is going through and he's cutting all these other guys on the arm. And the two guys that I saw the movie with my brother-in-law and our friend, they started talking. I mean, they, they were, you know, having that moment in the theater because we were basically by ourselves on a Thursday night at like 11 o'clock. But uh, I don't even remember who said what to who. I just remember hearing the conversation and smiling, but they're like, what is he doing? Is he trying to figure out if those guys are like mannequins or is he trying to figure out like, you know, is there some special thing that he's doing? I'm like, no, he's camouflaging himself. And I, I kind of had uh, Morpheus's voice from the matrix go off in my head and I got this big smile on my face. And all I could hear was he's beginning to believe. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. to me, this is the moment, uh, you know, we, we've had some Batman moments prior to this in the film. Don't get me wrong. But to me, this sequence is truly the moment where he becomes Batman, even though he doesn't have the costume and he doesn't have the inspiration to wear the costume. This is to me is where the, the character of Batman is essentially born and that he thinks so far outside of the box that he can blend himself in with these guys by making matching cuts on the arm and wait for his opponent to make the mistake instead of trying to be the, the blunt forced instrument that's trying to take him head on. He outthinks his opponent and catches him in his own mistake and relaxing in his own guard because he becomes overconfident that he's finally caught Bruce doing something dumb and there it is. And it turns out Bruce is really the one that caught him. I, I, I just find that whole sequence absolutely wonderful, absolutely amazing, fantastic. It, this may well 
well be my personal favorite sequence in the film. It's a good one. This is where the student becomes a master, essentially, right? So yeah, yeah, that, that's a, that's a very apt term. Yes. Yeah. Well, and do you know why, Jamie? Do you know why he did that? Because he overcame fear. Because <laughs> because to overcome fear, you must become fear. You must bask in the fear of other men, and men fear what they cannot see. <laughs> it is. It is. I want to now do the the Batman Begins fear drinking game. Oh, that is my that after watching this, I'm like that is my new goal is uh take take a drink every time they talk about fear or scared as long as we don't do that during the podcast between that and blue devil we both need to be on a liver transplant list very soon yeah uh (laughs) and and also the cutting of the arms those guys didn't have any problem with that i'd be like hey man i'm just standing here doing my job while you're cutting my arm (laughs) that was crazy they're good soldiers those crazy ninjas they just like yeah (laughs) we don't mind maybe they're cutters in their free time it doesn't that could be yeah reminds them that they're alive if somebody (laughs) cut batman on the arm would he go ow what did you do that for no that's not what no he'd probably punch him in the head though (laughs) (laughs) very true very true well so at this point in the movie what happens is that this is when the non-linear narrative stops from this point on this sort of act two of the film then we're on a linear path for the remainder of the film yeah pretty much Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. As soon as yeah. As soon as Bruce walks up to that plane, and this is also where we get the introduction of of Crane, Scarecrow, as well. Which I thought was interesting. That you know, I like the fact that we meet him as as a as a psychiatrist. Um, I will tell you that when they name drop Arkham, I had one of those. I think Andy you talked about like the hand clap for like Joe Chill. For me, it was when they name dropped Arkham, and I went, Yeah, yeah, Arkham. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and how smart to make Jonathan Crane work at Arkham. Yes. Like yeah. in my in. My readings of the Scarecrow, he's never worked at Arkham, but I'm like, oh, that's a very natural fit makes a lot of sense and you know easy way to work him into the story smart yeah definitely cool and then uh i was like super pumped up when i saw that they actually were introducing mr zazz who was a pretty obscure batman villain at the time uh in the comics i'm like oh my gosh they're actually using this character oh i i had no idea who he was like that that reference Uh went over my head i didn't really become aware of zazz until the arkham games because he's in that very first level of arkham asylum where you learn how to, <laughs> yeah. you know, take somebody down from above. And then it was like, I went back and rewatched Batman Begins at some point after playing the Arkham games. And I went, oh, that's who that is. Cool. You know, it was, it was, it's kind of embarrassing to go, yeah, I had no idea who that was. D- don't feel bad. I recognize the name, but it wasn't someone I was super familiar with. I remember going, oh, Zaz, that sounds familiar. But, ne- but that was it. Like, and then. But it's so interesting that they do that and then, but they paid enough detail that if you look at his neck yeah they've got yeah. the they got the counting yeah they got, yeah. The sc- yeah they got the scars and they never mentioned that they never explained that it's just there for you to notice if you notice it i was gonna say i love that he shows up multiple times throughout the film so it's not just the one cameo yeah. that he actually does carry on through the film yeah I, I i just love the idea though that they just kind of pulled it's kind of a somewhat of a deep pull you know like they didn't it was a nobody character they didn't really have any real purpose but they said you know what you know this is a character that we're gonna bring in here because like the diehard fans will definitely know who it is and uh so that was really cool yeah and i remember watching that scene where they first showed him i looked you know down at the neck i'm like oh there's the lines there's the lines <laughs> there they are so i was i was super excited to see that i mean as a fan so what do we think about because this was i thought was an interesting element of the story that i don't feel like ever showed up except for in uh, this movie you can correct me if i'm misspeaking here but the 
idea of when Bruce comes back from his years abroad, that he was declared dead, and that now there's kind of this takeover at Wayne Enterprises. And the whole idea of the company going public and how they're basically kind of like Bruce being back as an inconvenience. Um, what did you guys think about that? Because I felt like it's something that Gotham plays with now. It's like that the company is not what it should be until Bruce decides to come back to it. So did that have any kind of basis in the comics or is that something really that this film introduced? I've I've never read a comic book story where it's about that. Um, but again, I think it makes it makes logical sense of, uh, you know, Bruce Bruce Wayne disappears for seven years. What happens in his absence? And, and then answering that question. Um, but yeah, I don't in my experience that that whole situation was created for the film. I've never known it to be uh, explored in the comics at all. But I, I like it. I think it's cool because it shows Bruce Wayne coming back and taking control of his life in a lot of different ways. Yeah. And again, it's kind of filling in the gap that we never really kind of explored in the comics, at least to my knowledge. And it, it fit really well the story. I mean, it had purpose ultimately, you know, as we find out a little bit later. But the, the, the one thing I want to mention about this, the thing that I really liked, this was the actual first appearance of the playboy Bruce Wayne. Because yes. up to this yes. point, we hadn't seen him. He walks in and talks to Jessica, the assistant. And you could see he's got his like hair all slicked back and he's very suave, kind of very playboyish. And, and this is when Bruce Wayne took on the Bruce Wayne playboy persona. And so you could just see like he's starting to formulate, you know, the, all the characters he's going to play at this point. Yeah, that was that's another aspect of the film overall that was another like high five where I was like, oh, we finally get to see that playboy persona. Yeah. Like, that was something we had never been explored. Um, and it was so great to finally see it be done here and being done so effectively. Okay, now on the flip side, here comes one of my little quibbles with the film. And it's only, it, and it's totally from a fanboy's perspective. I think it's cool that there was practical applications for basically all the bat gear. Like I said, this is that origin film where we're doing the checkbox of, okay, how's he get the utility belt? How's he get the suit? How's he get the cape? You know, you're, you're seeing all those things uh, because he's finding them in Fox's prototypes at Applied Sciences. But I will admit that to this day, I still have a little bit of a gripe uh, about this about this trilogy that Bruce didn't make the stuff himself. That he that it was all pre-constructed and he was smart enough to acquire it and modify it, but that he didn't kind of develop it on his own. And that's always been to me a really awesome part of the character that he kind of he's kind of that super smart guy who built all the stuff that he needed for his war on crime. So I mean, it's a fanboy nitpick. But in the Nolan verse, I completely understand its purpose. I fully understand what you're saying. And, and it's another one of those things I, I won't contest you or disagree with you. But I will say what that does is set up Lucius Fox as an incredibly important part of Batman slash Bruce Lane, Wayne's world in this trilogy. I agree, Jamie. Perfect. Because he, he basically agree. becomes yes. the cue to Bruce Wayne's James Bond at that point. Yep. Oh, and I agree. And once again, Lucius Fox, another character who was introduced like in the 70s, but it, I didn't know about him until the animated series. And then you put in an incredible act on Morgan Freeman in the role and you get another father figure mm -hmm. in this movie and that relationship that continued through all the films I mean Morgan Freeman was wonderful in all the movies and, and the little and the little things of Mr. Wayne I might not know what you're doing but don't treat me like an idiot yeah he's he's so good in everything, everything. every scene <laughs> he really is every yeah. scene between him and, and Bruce is just fantastic and I, I get what you're saying too but I also thought they had a nice balance of like how's Bruce Wayne going to build a build a car you know yeah, like or right. so but 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 at the same time bruce wayne does you know build the cowl and he does build the weapons and so i thought there was a nice balance of what he acquires from wayne uh 
from Wayne Tech and what he creates with with Alfred at home alone. Um, so <laughs> yeah. he, you know, he's still he's still got his hands in there and he's still doing stuff. But yeah, it would be tough for him to just invent a lot of this stuff on his own. Well, and this and the time frame the movie takes place in, he, he has oh, to yeah, become for sure. he has to become Batman in like a week. Yeah, you know, and and so I I'm not griping that. And like you said, he's at least smart enough to know this is what I need. What do you have? And then he still has to kind of jerry rig it to make it work for him. So I mean, let's face it, Scott. I mean, uh, it's, he doesn't even have the time. I mean, through the trilogy, he never even really made a whole decked out Batcave <laughs> the entire time. So I know rise rises as close as you get with that computer coming out of uh, out of the wa- out of the puddle. Yeah, basically. But that's it. I mean, there's not there's not a whole lot to it. But I don't know. I was okay with it. I was okay with it for sure. But man, I'll tell you what. I I disagree. That interaction between you know Morgan Freeman and and Christian Bale is just phenomenal. Every single scene of those two, I wanted more. They just had great chemistry together. Um, the, you know, especially some of the some of the looks that Morgan Freeman gives are just 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 spectacular. I I, I just want to say it now, and I know it's another one of my little out of order things, but hey, guys, this is how I do things. I'm sorry, I'm I'm scatterbrained. I just don't want this to get lost because I wanted to make sure I brought it up. Uh, after Bruce takes the weapon a lot weaponized hallucinogen to the face from Scarecrow, and he's in bed, and he's laying there, and Alfred's sitting there tending to him, and and Lucius walks in behind him. He's, you know, I called Mr. Fox after your condition worsened from the first day. The implied history in the course of about three and a half seconds between Lucius Fox and Alfred puts a smile on my face in all of the 50 times I've seen this movie. Yeah, mm. I agree. Yes. I mean, absolutely. all he does is he, he said he tells him, Alfred, always a pleasure. And he just says, Lucius. I mean, just yes. it's so it's quick, it's so smooth, it's so easy, and it's just so smile inducing. I, I just can't get over how much I love it. Plus, the, fu- the funniest line in the movie also comes in that sequence with the the whole are you planning on going out again he's like well you know how it is you're out there partying and somebody starts passing around the weaponized hallucinogens i i laugh out loud <laughs> giggle at that every time too so yeah love that entire sequence well and this kind of really leads up to finally batman mm-hmm. i mean uh we get flash who of course i'm i'm you know i'm a huge frank miller fan and and i'm and i'm watching this movie just digging all the all the year one inspirations even though i thought it was really interesting that they take the character of flash and yet they make him look like Eckhart from Batman 89. He's totally not like the the the, the tall, bulky, blonde guy that, you know, Mazzuchelli, uh drew him as in year one. He was a special forces brute, and this guy's just a slovenly POS. Exactly. Puts off that seediness that you like. I mean, you yes. look at that guy, and he just oozes the seediness that you need out of that character, at least as far as this film is concerned. Oh, and you just, and, and watching Gordon skin crawl, like he has to sit in a car next to this guy he's like no don't worry about me i'm not gonna rat which is really funny because in year one the whole reason gordon goes to gotham is because he was like an ia officer and he brought somebody down and they basically kicked him out of town for it so you know playing with the characters but that relationship is there and watching flash and sort of flash being the character that that delivers batman to falcone and i thought that was interesting of using that character and like he kind of we kind of follow him for a little bit, especially w- with the falafel guy, which is just that scene just makes me uncomfortable because they're in the pouring down rain. He's stealing the guy's money. He's just chowing down a falafel, and he looks like a like you said, Jamie, a pos. And I'm just like, he's eating it in the rain. It's like got to be a <laughs> soggy sandwich that he's chowing down on that can't taste good. Yeah, well, he didn't pay for it. What does he care? Oh, this is true. He looks like a kind of guy that doesn't really care about eating a soggy falafel. Oh, this is true. He, hey, like, we've all been there, right? Yeah, that's Am I right. right? <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.
Oh, well, I mean, so this is where Batman comes in, whips him up into the air. I want to talk to you guys about this one because I want to see how you feel. Like, I love the idea that, you know, Batman grappled him and pulled him up in the air. Like, I thought that was intense. I didn't like how <laughs> Christian Bale overacted this this part. Like, it was just a little bit too over the top to me. And uh, even to this day, like, every time I watch it, I'm like, oh, I just wish he could have just pulled it back a little bit. <laughs> see, this one doesn't... I was actually watching watching this movie after all the crap we give Bale for his for his sandpaper voice uh, you know the epitome being in Rises where it's like where's the trigger you know I was actually watching this entire movie going wow he's very he's very kind of laid back in this movie mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. he that 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 parody of him that we've kind of come to rag on Bale's Batman was something that kind of grew over the course of the three movies you go and watch this one it's like he's kind of chill in this movie it's not so bad mm. well here here there there are levels here Yes. So when he has the conversation with Rachel, it's perfect, you know, or when he has the conversations with Gordon, yeah. it's perfect. It's it's a little growly, but it's it's not over the top. The only time it really becomes that that total sandpaper, you know, growl is the swear to me. That's the only time. But and I think in context, I love it. I, I, I love it in that scene because the whole point is he is trying to scare the out of this guy. And that's when he should be at his angriest and most unhinged. The entire sequence, by the way, is still one of the most Batman things I've ever seen on film. Oh, yeah, it's terrific. Um, But yes, then it stopped having levels in The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> and that was, I think, where the issue is. Because here, I think it's, in Batman Begins, I think it's perfect. It's like he uses it at the right times, but he also brings it back when he doesn't need it. Just to get ahead of myself by two movies, if I have a gripe about that voice, it's not the fact that I think the voice is disturbing or that he doesn't use it at the right times or anything else. I just plain think Batman talks too much. It's fine if you want to have Bruce Wayne be a chatterbox, but I think Batman just plain talks too much, especially by the time you get to Dark Knight Rises. So so you agree with Michael Keaton that Batman shouldn't have so much dialogue? I think Keaton was a fine Batman, especially in Batman Returns. It's just Bruce Wayne I have a problem, but we're not going to go into that today. That but yes, less, less is more when you're Batman. That's how I see it. So, And I swear to God, one of these days, somebody needs to make one of these movies where we get Batman's internal monologue as a voiceover. Am I the only oh. one? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, we talked about the swear to me, but we jumped all, all completely over Batman's introduction. Oh, yeah, we did because we touched on it a little bit earlier. <laughs> because we started talking about Flash. Um, one other thing I want to call it real quick before we do that is... Um, Gotham City in this movie. I love Gotham City in this movie. And and I love it more than I love it in Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises. Because here, it's real, but it has just... It is, it's like real, but, but clicked over to fantasy by like 10%. It just has a little more personality. It has a little more style. Particularly li- the Narrows. Yeah, yes. the Narrows, Arkham, the Monorail, Wayne Tower. Like, it just has a little bit more... A tiny bit more comic book woven into a real city. And I love that about this movie. And I think it's a shame that they lost that in the sequels um because i love this wayne tower i think the wayne tower is perfect it looks like it should and it always broke my heart that that wayne tower just turned into a different building in in the next two movies this was filmed in chicago as well as dark knight yes correct yes okay and then the third one mostly was pittsburgh if i'm not mistaken yes it was pittsburgh because that's why the steelers were the uh the football team (laughs) 
Don't say that S word around me. Don't do it. <laughs> Andy, I'm, I'm really curious about this. Uh, since you're from the southwest side of Chicago, uh, I'm mm-hmm. from the southeast side of Chicago. So did it take you, did you have a little trouble seeing parts of Chicago that you know so well in this film? Like when, you know, and, uh. and it's not as much in this scene here, but like in some of the later scenes, like Lower Wacker Drive, I know very well. <laughs> I yeah. know, of course, the bridge going over Chicago River. I know, you know. Of course. Yeah, yeah. so all these things, like as soon as I saw it, I'm like, oh, well, that's Chicago. <laughs> you know, I saw the Marina Towers in one of the f- scenes. Yeah, I mean, yes, like I recognized it, but I thought it was cool. It yeah. didn't It didn't bother me. I yeah. thought it was neat because for so long, Gotham has always been New York. And so I was like, it's about time Chicago gets some love. So that's right. Second city. I, right? I dug it. And again, in this movie, they change it enough where it feels a little more like its own place. Whereas in, in Dark Knight, it's like, ah, it's just Chicago. We don't feel like, you know, we don't feel like designing new stuff anymore. <laughs> that's true. I mean, I thought they did a good, a good job of like uh, putting in the narrows in there, which, you know, was all CGI. But I thought that made yeah. it look really cool because that's the that's a lot more of the Gotham that we're so accustomed to seeing, you know, Batman yeah. roam around in. And correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I believe the Narrows was introduced in this film and now it has become like part of Batman mythology. Or did the Narrows exist before this film? I couldn't say either way, but I I agree with you, Andy. I feel like the Narrows was introduced in this film and then was incorporated into uh, comic continuity. Yeah, because now it's in the comics. But I'm like, I think the Narrows was created for Batman Begins. Hmm. I thought it was the other way around, but um, yeah, it's interesting. It's it's probably around the same time frame, though. Like I, said, I could be wrong. That's why I'm asking. Someone will know. Yeah, someone will know. <laughs> anyway, I, I wanted to point out maybe, again, this could be me reaching or overthinking things, that they sort of indicate that the city's seedy, corrupt, dirty, nasty, filthy, and what have you in this, and they sort of portray it that way. And then in Dark Knight, it seems to be more cleaned up. So I wonder if that was deliberate, the kind of the, the, the change to where it looked a little differently between the two because they wanted to convey that, hey, Batman has done a really good job of cleaning up the streets and whatnot. Am I making sense here? Um, I think you're trying to explain their laziness. <laughs> well, fine. <laughs> There's only so much production money to go around. Because because they because they also came up with some BS nonsense about why they shot Rises in Pittsburgh. And they're like, oh, well, because it doesn't look like the same city, it just makes Gotham seem bigger. I'm like, no. <laughs> you know, and that's kind of how I felt about the, the close-up fight scenes as well. I always kind of felt like that was just a convenient excuse uh, of mm. Nolan's to just explain why he <laughs> didn't, you know, couldn't film like complicated like fight scenes. It'd just show it real fast. If you watch the extras, like these are extremely extremely like carefully choreographed fights so these these stunt guys and the actors christian bale and liam neeson worked their asses off to yeah. get these fights and you'd never know it from watching the movie i know unfortunately oh by the way i have confirmed that the narrows was created for batman begins okay good hey do you have a magical box that allows you to look things up <laughs> it's called an iphone andy it's amazing Ooh. what happens while everyone else is talking and i'm just sitting that's, there going do, 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 do. that's amazing I love that. This crossover has been brought to you by the Apple Corporation. <laughs> it just, routinely just is. Just like every podcast before it. Yeah. Well, we let, now we need to get to the docks. Come on. We, we can't. We do have to get to the docks. If nothing else. And we got it. So we jumped over. We're jumping around. It happens. I'm sorry, Tim. You, you've done your best. You've tried so hard to keep <laughs> us on track. I laughed because I knew that it was never going to happen. And he's so demented. What are you talking about? We've stayed largely on course here. It's true. I, I try it too. It's a fool's errand. But you know what? We we can smell our own. Hey, I wanted us to be in the ballpark. I, I wasn't, I didn't think we were going to go line by line, but I want us to be in the ballpark and we are. What's amazing is I have pages and pages of notes and I've, I've, I've only been able to mention maybe like a quarter <laughs> of the, you know, up till now. Yeah. Um, 
I maybe I overprepared. Anyway, we jumped around a little bit, but we can't talk about this portion of the film without talking about what we had been waiting for. So it's an hour into the film. Like I said earlier, at at that hour mark, Flash steps out of the limousine into the docks, and uh, and we finally do get our big intro of Batman. And uh, like I said, it is the moment we've been waiting for. But they've done such a great job with the story and the characters and everything up until now. It doesn't even feel like an hour. No. Um, but our patience is about to be paid off. This is such an awesome introduction because it does that thing that I feel like any good introduction to Batman in a movie does, which is you get it from the criminal's POV. Right. You get it, It's the suspense and tension of you hear the screaming, you hear the noise, you see the guys. It's that criminals are a superstitious and cowardly lot. And if you're going to if you're gonna introduce Batman, you don't see Batman. You see what he does, but you don't see him doing it. Yeah. Which makes it even creepier. And with that Hans Zimmer, James Newton Howard score, Mm -hmm. it just racks that suspense up to 11. And you're just like, oh my God, when am I going to see him? (laughs) Yeah. And some of these, uh, you know, goons getting yanked out as well. I mean, that's just all, it was just slowly kind of ramping it up. Did such a great job introducing. And and I agree with you, Scott. I mean, just this whole, you know, leading up, this whole hour of leading up to this point, which I was just all about. Like, I I wanted that payoff. And man, it really did kind of pay off here, didn't it? Yeah. It was so smart to, to, do it this way um i mean to to show the culmination of everything that bruce has been has been working towards and then how it works how how he truly does terrify these criminals and all of a sudden they're like they don't know what's going on and they're legitimately scared and just when they get a glimpse of them they're already they've already lost Uh, it's great like to, to shoot it like batman is the monster and he's just picking these guys off one by one and then even when he does completely drop down on whatever six mm-hmm. six or seven that's his that's his magic number right um when he drops down and takes down even then it's so fast and effective that you just get the flashes of it um so we're only seeing little bits of of this guy just like the criminals are it was just it was a smart way to show the fear that batman instills in these guys and how effective he can be because he's using these these tools against them i mean even just like knocking out the lights you know th- these guys feel like all of a sudden they're in a horror movie right yeah and you fear what you don't understand, Andy. Let's, let's I've heard that you. somewhere. Okay, sure. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, like so cool that he, he he takes these guys out, and we as the audience are like, "Oh my god, is that Batman? It is Batman. We I want to see Batman." Mm-hmm. Um, which of course then builds to Falcone getting back in his limo, uh, and just uh, pure cinematic joy—a moment of a, a moment of, of wonderful things. That as a Batman fan, how can you not love? Um, you get the "What the hell are you?" Mm-hmm. Yes, crashes through the skylight. I'm Batman. <laughs> I'm so glad they used I'm Batman. I'm so glad. Now I've I, I have another Batman friend. He thinks that that was the studio's note. Maybe it was, but even if it was, I'm glad it's in there because <laughs> I love it so much. Well, I mean, it's a complete callback to to Batman '89, which I, I'm sorry, you know. What are you? I'm Batman. You know, it, it, it's to this day the seven year old in me who saw that in the theater was just like, yeah! you know, that's the line you want. That's the line you want to hear. So if it was a studio note good on the studio i i, yeah. I will accept a studio note like that mm-hmm. yeah i mean i i uh, i definitely like the line as well i don't want it to be overused like i don't 
don't want this to be like in every Batman film you have to have an like a you know I'm Batman moment but that was fun to see you know considering the history with the you know the Batman 89 that was just like I think that's the first time we got a real good look at Batman in the costume was that moment and it's and it's and it's great and then the way he takes off it's beautiful and like this is the this is the moment when like they they pay off our patience because we get a nice big helping of Batman here because you would think that once he once he does the I'm Batman and he flies away you're like oh okay that's it but it's not it it keeps going um so so I just I just love that it's like we know you've been waiting here you go you want some Batman have some Batman I hope you choke on it okay here's one of my gripes <laughs> it was that same scene where he had to call back to the homeless man with the suit jacket that he gave right before he jumped uh, on nice yeah, coat <laughs> before he jumped on the Capricorn which by the way is being played by the same guy who played the bad guy in the saint I will never forget that and I thought <laughs> wow you scored that guy for that bit of a role good on you Nolan yeah well uh so I mean I I really like that moment but I didn't like the the little quip there with the thing the, the nice coat the nice yeah. coat oh you you always you always poo poo no, on the I, it's not that I'm poo pooing I'm I'm fine I there's a there's a ton of great great um humor that fits perfectly well into this film there's a few scenes that were it didn't work for me this was one um I mean there's one later on where we're gonna talk about uh, Jonathan Crane when you know he gets uh, knocked with his own fear gas and gives kind of like one of the worst lines of the film Jonathan Crane is not here but if you'd like to take a message or whatever it was it was something bad like there's a couple instances in this <laughs> film where it didn't work and this is one where yeah I kind of liked it but I, I just I wish they could have done that in another moment because that was like the big reveal but yeah right, so anyway right. it's a mi- it's a minor quibble guys I'm, yeah I, I it's hear a minor quibble I'm more just like man it's been seven years and that homeless guy is still just standing there with the <laughs> well, and then he, and then he's just standing there warming his hands with all this gunfire going around like I'd have been like you know I'm getting the like, hell out of here that's the part that makes yes. less sense it's been seven years that homeless man is yes. dead okay let's be real did anyone measure his beard or anything to make sure I mean uh, he may have a razor or scissors you know there's right. there's there's he may have like you know utility belt or something who knows what Bruce had in his little jacket well and when he gave him the coat he burned his scarf I'm like that homeless man could use that scarf yeah, Bruce yeah. he's cold and he's homeless <laughs> not very thoughtful oh I mean so this was this was fun this was a this was a fun scene for sure and uh we got a couple more things and then we'll let's we'll, we'll go ahead and kick this over to the other podcast but we get the first scene of where Rachel meets Batman where she's being followed on a train and comes down and, and is about ready to be attacked by a couple of the Falcone goons and all that but um I absolutely love the thing where Batman is up on that rail and she tasers him and it's going zit 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 and it's just zapping him he's just kind of sitting there and he finally takes it and throws it off uh I, I love that little thing um I thought some of the interactions with Rachel was a little weak with the assailants here but uh but that was still a fun scene as well I, lo- I love the moment when she says you'd better run because if you're watching behind yeah. her yes yes, yes, I saw that. yes he is just he is just pummeling that yeah. guy and it's hysterical yeah and then of course you get Gordon. Okay, and this is this is one where I kind of go, oh, uh, this was a little bit of a groan for me. But when they go to arrest <laughs> Falcone at the docks and he's chained to the spotlight, and you're so like, yeah, okay, this I is. I see what's gonna happen. Yeah, I see what you did there. That that's one where I kind of go, okay, that that one you went just up, you just went, you just stepped over the line <laughs> for me. I'm sorry. I I I don't mind the idea, but I'm like, I feel like I'm like, wouldn't Falcone suffer some severe burns that's from laying exact, on that I was thinking light? the exact same thing <laughs> i mean i'm not a doctor but to me that seems like it would be painful. if those are not led lights in there he's fried <laughs> exactly like i wouldn't like he's napping on there 
I don't think you'd be napping. I think you'd be yeah. screaming. I mean, it was it was it was a cute scene. You know, the whole uh, it kind of looked like the bat up in the sky. Okay, well, so that's yeah. Like I I I dig the <laughs> yeah, idea. But anyway, okay. So I think now that we actually have Batman in this movie, I think we have to head on over to Holy Batcast because I think now it's kind of in their territory. Yep. Don't you think so? Oh Tim? yeah, definitely, definitely. So so we've done what we had to do here. We set up who Batman was and how he began, and now we're gonna find out how this ends. So guys, we are gonna send this over to Holy Bat cast episode 103 and uh so we're gonna drop this episode saturday night and it's gonna be your episode is gonna drop 24 hours later so uh we're gonna go ahead and kick it over to there and uh i I got so much i want to talk about right now so let's just go ahead and end this scott okay so as always we love to hear your thoughts and feedback i hope you we hope you enjoyed part one of our crossover with holy batcast andy and jamie by the way thank you so much for coming over how about you go ahead and let the listeners know where they can find you guys and then we'll talk about ourselves um sure if you listen to podcasts that's where you find us so uh wherever you found this podcast you can find our podcast you just got to search for holy batcast it's spelled just like it sounds h-o-l-y-b-a-t-c-a-s-t batcast is one word uh so yeah itunes stitcher Podkicker, wherever you get your podcasts uh or if you want to cheat you can just go to our website holybatcast.com we post the links there too there you go and where can they reach you individually if they want to talk if they want to reach out oh sorry yeah i mean if you want to reach out you can uh follow uh the show which is is it's really just me um follow me <laughs> follow the show on twitter or on instagram which is holy Batcast. that's all uh, if you want to follow me personally it's just my name andy d genova a-n-d-y-d-i-g-e-n-o-v-a again those that's both for twitter and instagram nice jamie i am basically just on twitter i am at bat raider as in batman and oakland raiders 3960 very cool very cool. And as always, if you want to reach out to us, the Suicide Squadcast, you can reach us at Twitter, at Suicide Squadcast. I can be reached individually, at ScottDC27. Tim, how about you? Yeah, and then on Twitter, you can reach me, at Alan Fire. And if you want to email us, you can reach out to us at SuicideSquadcast at gmail.com. We also have a webpage where you can find our shows, as well as the other couple shows in our network, at www.SuicideSquadcast.com. Don't forget about the YouTube channel, and on Facebook, as Suicide Squadcast Network for both of those. Yep. So, guys... We got to go on. We, we got to end this. We got we got more talking to do. So we're going to end this one right here. Thanks for listening to part one. Make sure you go check out Holy Batcast for part two. And uh, as we always say, guys, what do we say, Scott, as we end this show? Keep reading DC. All right, see you guys. Bye. Okay, Andy. So, cannot wait for the show to drop. So, w- when when's the schedule for the Holy Batcast episode? When when, when can uh, we download it? I I know that you guys are are dropping on Saturday, but if it wouldn't be too much trouble, I would like to publish ours on Sunday. We're almost at our max uh, storage, and so if we wait one more day, you save me a couple dollars from having to buy more storage, and I would greatly appreciate. What, what the it. What, what the hell? What? Wait, 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 wait. So what what I'm hearing here is we have to wait another 24 hours just because you don't want to spend a few more bucks. Yes, I'm very poor. I'm sorry, that is unacceptable. You deserve this.
Okay, now, guys, we got to blow something up. Quick, uh, we always do this on the fly. What's the idea, Scott? What do we got? Anyone? Okay, I think we should blow up Andy and blow up Andy and Jamie for making us wait a full 24 hours for part two. Okay, there we go. Good enough. Because I feel like they're the guests they need to get blown up. This is your first blow up. This is an honor, guys, to get blown up. <laughs> they're like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking to myself, my bladder's going to blow up if we don't hit that pause button here in a minute. <laughs> <laughs>